Okay, three, two, one. What's up, Polo people? Welcome to the North. Yeah, sorry, I got messed up. This guy, he's famous now. He can't keep track of his podcasts. Yeah, Seriously, welcome yeah. to Raptors Review. I mean, North Red Polo Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. What's up, Polo people? Welcome to the Northside Polo Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin, here with my friends. And of course, they're also my teammates, Alex. Hey, what's up? And Liam. Yo, yo. Hey, how are you boys doing today? How's everything going in uh, Alex and Liam land? Uh, still in still in lockdown. Just uh, oh, dang. trying to keep busy, do a little bit of work here and there. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I forgot about Toronto. Things are good, though, I'd say. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, things are decent here. We're in the orange zone right now, so we can go out and do things. And I just heard they're closing the canal, which makes me a bit sad. Oh, shoot. But, oh, well, I guess it's going to be warmer soon, which means um, polo or riding bikes. Yeah, it does kind of feel like every time we get above zero, even for a couple hours, I go outside and like kind of see the snow melting and feel the warmth of the sun. I think bike polo is coming. It's the first thought that jumps to my mind, you know, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> the weather's so weird here because I remember normally I would say if we get a big warm spell at the end of February, you know, it might not snow again, even especially in Toronto. If we if it gets warm and all we lose our snow at the end of February, like it's probably the start of polo season. But last year, I remember this happened and just in time for Great Lakes, which normally I would bike down to, we got like three feet of snow. It was winter was just super delayed. And I think it's been getting it's been getting that way more and more. Like I am cautiously optimistic about any March cycling. I think there might <laughs> we might be looking more at April realistically. Yeah, there's a lot of snow to melt. It's generally April in Ottawa that we get polo going for the first time. Traditionally Toronto holds Great Lakes and usually we can like I can ride to the court. It's not pleasant. Like you wouldn't, I wouldn't mm-hmm. play pickup because it's still pretty cold out. But just to get to the court, like absolutely, I could do that. But last time it was snow drifts. Like it, it was not feasible. Yeah, the Kdub tournament was just incredible amounts of snow. That was in January uh, last too. year. That snowball fight we had, yeah, it was January. But it was a pretty awesome tournament. Too. Oh yeah, winter tournaments are special. I remember leaving and there's cars were just piled up with snow. It was it was hard to get Nealon's van out of there because he had to really push it. <laughs> Didn't Montreal drive down to that with like no heat? They did. Their van? Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, they were in sleeping bags. That's dedication. In the van driving down <laughs> in sleeping bags because they have no heat. January in Canada, pretty epic. <laughs> How long of a drive is that? Yeah, uh, seven hours. Yeah, pretty long. So it's about seven hours from Montreal to Toronto. Unfortunately, that van is no longer a thing. But I think Lynn just bought another van. I saw on Instagram. So maybe the Montreal van crew will live on. Does, does this one have heat? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> All right, guys. Enough living in the past. Let's get to some news, okay? And we got a couple uh, pieces of news this week. Um, Liam, why don't you take us away with our first one? Yeah, yeah. So big headlines. This is straight from Bicycle Retailer and Industry News. Uh, SRAM just bought Time Pedals Business from the Rossingall Group. Rossingall, I thought they were a ski company, but I guess they're like a multinational uh, corporation and they I guess they owned the time patents and all the equipment but now SRAM bought them so this is exciting I guess for everyone that you know loves the time pedal they they are the inventors of the of the attack 
and that's a very sought after pedal. I guess that was originally a mountain bike thing, but it's become a polo sensation. So yeah, I think a lot of it is love the time pedals, and hopefully this makes them more. Hopefully, we'll see more. You know, readily available um, in our markets because it's been challenging in the past to get time pedals and replacement parts. So I'm hopeful that the quality remains the same, but you know, they're more accessible. That's my biggest hope. But they used to make frames too. I'm looking at a photo of fr- of time frames. Really, very interesting. Yeah, probably the best frames ever if they're anything like their their pedals, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, on a much more somber note, earlier this month. Canada Bike Polo lost a truly great um, and just a great guy and also a great player. Um, Unfortunately, Matthew Hamilton passed away earlier this month, Um, a very well-known member of Saskatoon Bike Polo and a father of two. He, uh, Alex and I actually were really lucky while he was alive. We got a chance to play with him in one of our early tournaments. It was my first time playing at the Great Lakes Winter Classic. Alex, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Matt was the, uh, he was the first vet that ever traveled to a tournament to play with us. Mm. Yeah, and it was so much fun getting a chance to get to know him that weekend because, to be honest, we don't see a lot of the people from out west, but uh, such a fun and charismatic guy and a great person to have around a couple new players. Yeah, absolutely. There is a uh, a GoFundMe set up for his uh, his son and daughter through the Saskatoon Bike Polo Facebook page. Uh, I would encourage anyone that that knew him to to give that a visit. For sure, yeah. I heard all the donations are going to be going towards RESPs for his son and daughter. They're pretty young. Um, he's a relatively new father, so anything you guys have that you can spare to help out those two later in life when they want to pursue education is uh, going to be so helpful for the family that's already going through a lot, I'm sure, right now. Yeah, especially tough. Um, I never knew Matt personally, although, but I've heard stories. I think one story I would share was that my friend Ashwin, who we've mentioned many times on the podcast, um, I think he was look, he, he was living in Yellowknife at the time, and Matt, who was living in, in Newvik, um, volunteered to fly, was it, I think, fly over to Yellowknife or sorry, to Whitehorse rather, to meet Ashwin. And then they drove the rest of the way to get to Anchorage for Midnight Sunburn, which I think kind of speaks to his dedication to bike polo. If you're willing to just hop a plane to meet some person you've never met before to then drive however many hours to get to Anchorage. Um, Yeah. And then also getting, I think we told the story about them getting stopped on the way back uh, at the border and yeah. But um, as far as I know, Ashwin, you know, he said he was a great guy. And I sh- when I shared the news, he was fairly sad to hear that. So, um, yeah, Matt, uh, we're thinking of you and your family. And, um, yeah, it's very tragic to hear, especially in these these troubling times. Absolutely. A great person. And from what I hear, an even better father. And really just left a mark on bike pull across the country with how many tournaments he would travel to play in. And always willing to play with up-and-coming players. It just speaks to his character. And... Anything you guys have, check out that GoFundMe through Saskatoon Bike Polo. I'm sure that uh, it would really help out. All right. Alex got all excited earlier this week. Came up with a new segment, and I think it's pretty interesting. So, Alex, why don't you tell the the Polo family out there what uh, what you came up with? All right. So, this was very much inspired by, I like to think of it as our sister podcast, but... Um... It's called the Raptors Review Podcast, for those of you that haven't seen it. Uh, this this guy named Gavin hosts it. Um, 
he's the he's terrible i would i don't know what his problem is but um, wow they they talk about the toronto raptors and they review their games and i realized that as we're coming up on what would be the tournament season of bike polo uh one of the things we normally talk about and at the time when we started this podcast we were going to talk about bike polo uh are like the most recent games and the tournaments and the results and like what we're seeing that year and obviously with the pandemic and the lockdown there weren't really any tournaments to talk about last year and it doesn't look like that's going to change for this year so i thought why don't we do a segment we're going to go back we're going to watch some of the best videos of bike polo games uh anything that was filmed if we can watch the full game we're gonna before the podcast we're gonna sit down we're gonna watch the game and we're just gonna talk about uh our thoughts on the game and hopefully we're gonna be able to share a link to that game so if you want to follow along uh you can watch the game too and it'll be you know it's not going to be the same as having a tournament come up but you know we can at least all have the shared experience of watching the same game be played at the same time no doubt and so we picked out a real gem of a game to start off with and um that is a game from 2012 North American Hardcore Bike Bullet Championships, The Means versus Clobber Politics. Oof. Now, for context, this is one of the more famous recorded games out there, not because of really amazing play or the drama of being a finals game. <laughs> Why is this game so famous, Alex? What would you say? For me, this game was famous just because it was one of the games that we found you and I found when we started playing and we've just watched this video before I think every single tournament we've played. Yeah. It's been kind of a ritual Saturday. We go, we play our games. And then before the knockout stages that night, Sunday, you've got to watch clobber politics versus the mean because it gets the juices flowing, you know, <laughs> the competitive juices. You just want to go out there and hit somebody. <laughs> and of course we don't do that, but we just channel that ferocity into extra hard rips and, uh, extra grading heckles so if you want to level up your sunday bike polo i highly recommend you watch today's <laughs> video <laughs> we'll be posting a link in our instagram bio for those of you that want to check it out you can also just search the means versus clobber politics 2012 it'll come up it's a it's a vimeo video so check that out okay so alex um you did a little like in-depth kind of stat review before this so why don't you break it down what exactly happened in this game i just i just want to set the stage uh this is a game this is the winner's bracket semi-final between clobber politics and the means from north americans 2012 in milwaukee so this is before any obstruct you know before obstruction was and then wasn't a rule we're going we're going way back for this one right off the top my first impression is damn this is a physical game <laughs> yeah can we talk about really can we just is. talk about the thumbnail of the video like if yeah. you just open the thumbnail of the video you have i think that's nick vaughn and yeah. he's just staring down robbie who's in the right hand corner who is riding the <laughs> other way and nick vaughn's mallet's on the ground and he's just looking at him like you know extremely pissed off and that's like before you've even watched the video you're just like Okay, it's going to go down in this video. And you see the scoreline <laughs> at the bottom, which I won't reveal right now. But you're just like, damn, okay, this is going to be epic. <laughs> so the teams are set. On one side, you have the means, and that is Alexis from Ottawa, Nick Vaughn, and Chris from New York City. And then on the copper politics side, you have Ben and, jo ben and Joe from Chicago and Robbie from Ottawa. So two very notable north sides greats in this video definitely 
probably the two best players from this era from our region, I would say, um, at least the most notable, Robbie Eccles and Alexis, uh, who needs no introduction, of course. And the- I would say the two most dominant players from the summer of pickup that we started, which might have something to do with why we gravitated towards this video. For sure. That's also a big part of it. And two Ottawa boys that we uh, definitely got to see play when we were just beginning. So I just want to give a, a quick rundown of what the game, sort of just a quick look at what happened this game. In typical bike polo video fashion, we don't see the opening joust. The game already started before the, the video did. But there's a lot. It's I would describe the play pattern as frantic from both sides. I actually, in preparation for talking about it today, I wanted to try and track the possession, how many times they converted on their possessions. And I actually found it to be too difficult to track because there was just such a frantic play pattern in between the contact it's like so hard to say who had possession and who didn't basically the means run up the score through various contact and nice passing plays um and then eventually towards the end clubber politics get a nice four check going and they bang one in before uh nick vaughn sends them into the loser bracket Mm-hmm. But there's so much more going on than just that. I feel like the score only tells one side of the game here. This just reminds me of how much I love best of five or first to five. Yeah. Like this is an 11 minute game and it has all the drama you would want from a winner's bracket final. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like watching it like right away, you see there's a sense of physicality that isn't present in polo right now. And you're seeing extensions on almost every play, Um, notably at the five minute, 40 second mark after the first goal, uh, Chris is behind the net and just extends completely on one of the clobber (laughs) politics guys. And the way the camera set up in that, you know, that corner, you get a really good view of it, but this just seems par for the course in this matchup and the physicality and ruthlessness of play just escalates over and over and over and over until you get to what I would say is the pivotal moment of the game. It happens at 941 when uh, Northside great Robbie Eccles kind of leaps from his bicycle to deliver a flying headbutt <laughs> to Nick Vaughn, standing the boat toppling. I think Nick Vaughn's bike like bounces on the ground and then ends up on top of Robbie somehow. And from that point on, you know this is not a normal game. Even before that, it looked extremely rough. But when that happens, that's kind of like this man just missiled himself through the air. And for those of you who don't know Robbie Eccles, he is not a small man. He is one of the larger players I've seen playing bike polo. It just sends carnage across the court. Bikes bouncing, tubes bending. Luckily, everyone's okay. But from that point on, they both know, both teams know, and everyone watching knows this is one we just want to get out of alive, right? So... Um, Alex, were there any points in the game that really stood out to you? I mean, the very, very end of the game is my favorite. Uh, Nick Vaughn gets the breakaway, uh, just taps it in the empty net and carries his momentum around behind the net, at which point I believe he's riding around flipping off either the crowd or uh, <laughs> the, the clover politics, and uh, Robbie just hits him. <laughs> <laughs> the game's over um that, that's where the thumbnail comes from you know nick is kind of just looking at him like what the fuck dude and uh i i don't know enough about this era of bike polo because this is before all of our collective times uh on the podcast but i just choose to believe that this was par for the course of every single game that was played back then yeah for sure yeah Liam, anything stand out to you i equate 
Well, yeah, I was going to say the physicality obviously comes out first because like within the first, you know, 30 seconds, you have three wipeouts. Yeah, like, true. Like hard hitting the ground wipeouts. One of them, I guess, is just one player. I'm not sure who they kind of slip and fall. You have those three wipeouts. And then, like you said, yeah, the kind of the climactic ending. I equate it to sort of like watching WWE. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I mean, WWE is entertainment, like staged, you know. I mean, personally, I'm like, I am glad Polo is not like this anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, and I have to do some sort of moral uh, gymnastics to be like, is it okay for me to enjoy this game and still be like, yeah, this is not what I want Polo to be like. <laughs> but it's sort of interesting to see. It's like a time capsule, you know, you see where it came mm-hmm. from. Oh, absolutely. But as far as the, like the quality of the game itself, it's still like, despite those kind of physical moments, it's still like a pretty interesting game because for the first, you know, the clobber politics, they concede one goal pretty early. And then for the next five minutes, it's just hard paced, like hardcore going after the ball. And nobody scores again until about halfway through, about six minutes in. Yeah, unfortunately, like for like, I feel like both teams are just exhausted, but the floodgates just open for the means. And especially after Robbie's uh, altercation, <laughs> they just it just further gives them steam. And then they just they just drive the game home. The passing plays between Alexis and Nick Vaughn really is what breaks it down for me and i think that in some ways is probably one of the more modern aspects that we see in this game like nor i I actually think some of the passes like the sort of the cycle that that they get going and how they're breaking down the clubber politics defense i think that type of play like that play pattern is actually pretty much based on what like what modern bike polo is based on that that sort of that cycle that directional play which is really cool because this is this is what it was. It was forged in the fire of this kind of physical. You could just run someone off their bike if you wanted to, but this type of passing place could still exist in this in this space. And it's a lot better now that you can't just take the take out the person who doesn't have the ball. Yeah, the dynamic here that really I think separates the two teams and leads to that advantage. Well, I think there's two things going on. The first is that the copper politics seem to have a couple mistakes in their own zone. I mean, they have one, I think it's the fourth goal of the game. That's just a fumbled uh, reset that turns into a open net breakaway goal for um, Nick Vaughn um, just because he's there on the four check. And I think if they tighten some of that stuff up, it could have been a much closer game, but it's hard when Nick Vaughn's putting on so much pressure, right? The second piece. And I think that's what you spoke to a bit before Alex is this Alexis Nick Vaughn kind of, synergy and it's that Nick Bond's a very fast player very physical player and he's the perfect person for Alexis to hit with stretch passes it seems he's finishing them at a high rate and that's really notable in that last goal where Alexis does a nice kind of like backwards scuddy stretch pass Nick Vaughn manages to pick it up and he's squished in between Robbie and another defender and puts it on his backhand and is able to pop it into the open net and it was a very athletic play a very well-timed play but I think this is kind of what blows the game apart is this Alexis Nick Vaughn passing that uh, really stretches the defense out and makes uh, the cover politics make a few mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of passing, I just, I actually recorded the percentage of passes that were completed versus the ones that were not uh, because, you know, going back to our discussion on passing where we didn't say don't pass, but we said passing is probably overrated. Um, Watching the passing in this game it has me second guessing that a little bit because the numbers are quite a bit different than what I would have expected. What what do you think the percentage of completed passes was? If you guys had to guess for both teams in this game. 
20%. I would say combined percentage <laughs> or each team's percentage? Com- combined. So every every attempted pass, and I'm only counting uh, like deliberate passes. So if someone like chipped the ball and it just happened to fly to a teammate, like if they were on the boards and their teammate recovered it, I'm not counting that as a pass, but I am counting drop passes mm. and, you know, the behind the net taps and like that sort of thing. I'm going to say probably like 65%. So Liam, you say, you, Liam says 20%, Gavin says 65 <laughs> Um, it, it was 70%. Okay. Oh, yeah. 70% com- uh, of passes were received and completed on target. And that's shocking to me because that's way higher than I thought it would be. Well, yeah. I figured it would have to be over 50% because if it was less than 50%, they just would not pass, right? Well, what do you think the shooting percentage is? Because <laughs> I can tell you that's not over 50%. <laughs> oh, well, you kind of have to shoot the score. On the shooting. That's 20% for sure. Yeah, that's it's a pretty short game. It's probably hovering around like one in five, 20% go in. The shooting in this game is also interesting. It's, it's very like uh, the rips from half court are there. You've got like... Definitely some like, uh, I mean, I think we talked about quality shots. There's definitely just those like spur the moment, like I'm just going to rip it and see what happens, which is for me exciting. Gavin, what was your shooting percentage? I said 20%. Liam? Oh, I'd go with 20, 25%. 28.5. Whoa, good shooters. Yes. Good shooters. But I think a lot of that is upped because a lot of the goals that the means are scoring, which is five of the six goals that are scored in the game, are breakaways and open nets. And I think that speaks to what I said before about clever politics getting caught out a little bit in a lot of places, particularly on the open net goal, the open net breakaway goal that Nick Bond scored there, the fourth one. As we move on with this segment, I'm going to try and keep tracking passing and shooting percentage. Uh, obviously, this is a pretty old game. I don't know how reflective it is of modern bike polo, but I think this can help establish <laughs> us get a baseline you know what these are this is significantly higher shooting and significantly higher completion on passing percentage than i would have expected and i would have thought that older polo games would have been lower i'll tell you right away compared to the worlds in uh, cordoba that's a really high scoring percentage even for the best players when i did my little stat find i think the best players were coming in at like 16 percent it really just goes to show that defenses have evolved and gotten a lot more intellectual i would say forcing people to the outside and when we're at the worlds nowadays Teams have plans, and I don't know if that was the case back then. It was just go, cause some mayhem, score as many goals as possible. But the game's come a lot of way into a long way intellectually. Um, watching this game, the stylistic differences between the teams I thought were really interesting. Oh, totally. You could tell that you know Alexis was definitely more of a dedicated goalie. However, he did get out of the net quite a bit here and there. Uh, managed to pocket one goal himself, but he was definitely that last man back trying to set up the stretch passes and that means team was definitely a more dynamic offensive team, a lot more flowy, a lot more passy, a lot more forward passes. Whereas clobber politics seemed to be a little more hunkered down and a little more interested in drop passes almost exclusively. And really Robbie was the only player to possess the ball for a meaningful amount of time in the offensive zone. One thing I will say as just a general highlight of how far this game has come um, was the very opening uh, I think it's like 12 seconds in someone from clobber politics goes for a shot over his, uh, in front of his front wheel, takes out his own front wheel, takes out his teammate and then stands up and screens his other teammate off the ball. So you, ha- and like, this is, this is a winner's bracket semifinal from NAs. Like I can't imagine watching a team implode like that hard today, but it just, you know, this was 
oh god was this eight or nine years ago now <laughs> like you know it's uh seeing plays like that um at this level it's just it shows how far the, the game has come yeah but these are all fantastic players like you put a oh, on a court now he'd still kick our butt same with robbie so i'm wondering guys watching this game who would you say the player of the match was and why hmm. if i'm going with my head i would say alexis I'm going with my heart. It's Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> so why? I don't think Alexis is the would be the the common pick, right? Because Nick Vaughn does have a hat trick in this game. So why are you picking Alexis? Well, I don't know. I got to go for the Ottawa guys, don't I? <laughs> there you go. So it's with your head and your heart, and then Robbie's with your full heart. Just blatant favoritism. Yeah, I'm not going to hide it. I'm biased. <laughs> so why why would you pick uh, why would you pick Robbie for your heart though? Well. I mean, just the uh, the emotion, you know, he brings to the game. From the brief time of playing with him, I always thought he was a very uh, expressive, very passionate player. Um, yeah, I wish I got to play with him more. I mean, that guy had an arm, and he could he could send the ball flying. And uh, uh, I don't know, watching him play this game, I obviously watching him play this game, I'm like, oh god, I would hate to fade him, face him in like a proper tournament final. Obviously. He just personifies that early bike polo to me, hard hitting player. And even at the end, you know, he, it could have easily devolved into, you know, a fist fight or something, but he, he sort of takes the semi high road. <laughs> Robbie, if you're listening to this, I love you. Don't kill me because, you know, obviously the phone clips him off and he rides away. He's not about to, you know, after hitting him <laughs> fight after hitting him. Yeah. I mean, he, the best part is Nick Vaughn flips him off and then goes for the handshake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seamlessly from the fuck you to the good game, buddy. And, and then is surprised when he gets it. Yeah, there, there's so much about this game that like I, I, I don't want to break it down too much because I don't know what, yeah. what to even make of it. It's just it, it's such a, an, a staple of that. To me, it's the staple of like, this is what I picture Mike Polo was in that era. And I mean, that's why we watch it before Sundays. It's just, you know. It gets you fired up and ready to not not do this, but but play a good hard physical game. So, Alex, who's your player of the game? I mean, I could definitely see where Liam's coming from with Robbie. Uh, just being on a team like this is a pretty decisive victory for the means. And I think if Robbie is almost any other player, this game is pretty uneventful. But he brings such a huge physical presence to it that really forces the means to step up their game and show us the the passes that they, they do um, in order to crack the defense. Because when they're not running a fancy passing play, Robbie is screening someone off the ball, sometimes off their bike. Uh, Talking with the goalie. Forced, yeah, he's messing with the goalie. He's just everything for that clubber politics had going from this game is generating off of Robbie. And I think without his presence on the court, it's a, you know, it's kind of an uneventful game. That being said, like Nick Vaughn, obviously the MVP, the hat trick and the offense of the winning team, you know, keys through him. It, it's hard to say anyone else, but I do think that Robbie really, you know, seeing this makes me wish that I played bike polo at the same time as Robbie. Not for my body's physical sake, but just I would have loved to have witnessed that. He's extremely graceful for such a large man. I... I'm kind of conflicted. I think I don't really think you can give it to Robbie just because the team gets beat so badly. But I think there's an argument for Alexis. 
he is really kind of like settles the team down and is kind of even keeled throughout the game, which is really strange knowing Alexis. But uh, <laughs> he scores a goal early on and he assists on a bunch of Nick Vaughn's goals. I think two of them, right? Except for the weird turnover on the reset. He assists on all of Nick Vaughn's other goals. And he also plays goalie and stops a bunch of good shots. And I don't think you can overlook that. That being said, Nick Vaughn does score three goals and <laughs> it's just tough. It's a toss up between the two. I'm going to lean, I guess, slightly towards Nick Vaughn just because of the aggressiveness he plays with and the four checking, but uh, I could see it going either way. So definitely uh, if you have seen this game, send us an email, let us know what you think, let us know other games we can watch and uh, please go on Vimeo and watch this. This game is uh this is this is one of the one of the greats from this era, and it should be remembered for what it is. <laughs> no doubt. And uh, I just want to shout out Mr. Do for the video footage. I, I'm sure we'll be accessing his videos more and more for this segment. But if you go to Mr. Do on Vimeo or Mr. Do Bike Polo, I think his website is, and there's just a wealth of old games on there in very very good quality, and uh, plenty of games to. Uh, observe and analyze there if you're ever bored unbelievably good quality and i would say that yeah. without mr do we would not be able to do this segment like to be able to go through and look at the old games of bike polo like just unbelievably good quality i i remember the first the first winter that gavin and i got into bike polo we came out we played one game of pickup in november and then i spent the next six months just going through every video on Mr. Dew's channel, <laughs> just researching my bike pull. <laughs> All right. To get this road on the show, let's get to our next topic. This is going to be a mega <laughs> episode here. Okay. This is a mega episode, but you know what? The polo community deserves it. They deserve a mega episode. I want to bring it to them. So today we're finally going to talk about it. I know there's a lot of goaltenders out there that have been wondering, when are we going to get our love on the Northside Polo podcast? Goaltending is an art and they deserve more love. So I'm just curious, guys, we're going to go into a deep dive right now of, you know, what makes a good goaltender, how we can improve our personal goaltending, what tips we have for maybe newer players. But I'm just wondering for you, you two, what do you think great goaltenders do that sets them apart from, you know, mediocre goaltenders like myself? One of the best things you can do that we can do to improve our goaltending is put Liam in the net. And <laughs> one of the best things I can do to improve our goaltending as a team is to not play net so that Liam can play net because he's an incredible oh. goaltender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blushing. Like, no doubt. But in, in, in all seriousness, I think that good goaltending gets overlooked in polo because we don't have dedicated goaltenders or we shouldn't have dedicated goaltenders. Uh, but when you have someone that is actually able to have a good save percentage against like in in a breakaway situation like when you have a goaltender or someone that can consistently shut down breakaways it changes the game so liam what do you do <laughs> tell, tell us tell Pray us your secrets how does the padlock work uh, explain the padlock <laughs> well it must be those 700 wheels i'll, I'll start off with oh that. my gosh it's probably you part of it want to be able to deflect those yeah you know i mean it could turn a sure goal into a maybe deflection so bigger wheels (laughs) i don't know i mean i can't say i figured it out being in goalie is like you know it's a lonely old life you're just sort of uh you're the last ditch effort or the last ditch hope for a player to uh or to stop the ball from going in the net this is what i feared you know 
it's always challenging when you have a prodigy and you try to ask them, you know, <laughs> how do you do what you do when it comes to them as if it's second nature? And I really think that's what Liam is hitting here. He's a preternatural goaltender. He'll shut down any crease like a padlock and not one that the lock picking lawyer can get at. He would just, <laughs> he just shuts it down, closed like the bank, you know? And when you ask him how he does it, he's not going to give away his secrets, okay? You're being modest right now, Liam. The people deserve to know your secret techniques. Don't just hide them, okay? We want to know. And if it truly is just natural born talent, just tell us so I can stop practicing and I can give up. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not given much choice. I guess I'll just chalk it up to that. Oh my god. 10,000 hours of taking rips. <laughs> okay, <No>. Alex. <laughs> Us mere mortals now have okay. to find tips for the other people out there. So one of the one of the best when our first season playing uh, in Ottawa, there was a player that I would say was a goaltending specialist, uh, Mitch Uwanishin, and uh, he taught me he gave me a bunch of pointers in my in my rookie season that I actually it's the I would say that's the foundation on my philosophy of goaltending. I don't consider myself a goaltending specialist. But when I'm in net, uh, he kind of gave me a list of things that I can think through. So the, your baseline is put your body and your bike in front of the net so that any ball that goes in has to go through you. Like you, you want to be in the net. You're not, you're not playing goalie from outside the net. But one of the things that Mitch said he does, he, stays, he keeps himself off to the side a little bit, still in the crease, still in front of the net, but he keeps his bike pointed outwards so that if there's a turnover, he can quickly ride up and get possession of it rather than every turnover resulting or every open ball resulting in a breakaway. He keeps his bike facing out so that he can jump on those open balls if he if he has a chance. No doubt. That's definitely part of it is like staying agile in the net. And I think part of that is just kind of maintaining some pressure on your front foot so that you're able to kind of shoot across the crease quickly and if you're able to, you know, scoot your butt back and get backwards to cover that post piece or hop backwards, that's awesome. Like the more mobile you are, I think the better, because then once you become mobile, you can start to actually make plays and cut down angles on people. And, you know, wheel position is obviously very important. Mallet position, kind of protecting that five hole. I think those are probably both keys. Yeah. And the other thing he said is uh, keep an active mallet. A hot hand you know you want to keep your mallet if you're if you're trying to block the shot there's kind of two stages of goaltending one is when they're far away the only way they can score is if they take a big rip or a shot so you want to be as big in the net as you can you keep your mallet sort of out in front of the space between your two wheels so that it's as big as possible and cuts down their shooting angle and then you're just waiting to see if they take the shot. You're as big, you make your wheels, you turn them in a way that you're as big of a target or as a block as you possibly can be. But then as they get closer to the net, your mallet is your only defense because if they're not going for that hard shot, they're going to be looking to either tap it behind your rear wheel or they're going to be looking to tap it, you know, between your front wheels or, or between your front wheel and, and the net. And in that case, you need to be ready to jump and react to whatever they're doing and keeping your mallet ready to go. And if they get too close, you want to be able to poke that ball out. A skill I have yet to master is this, the uh, freedom block or raclette, which it seems to be like effective in certain scenarios. I mean, the hardest shot I find to block is that stale, is that little tiny tap stale bread shot when they're coming up hard and fast and they just tip it through your five hole. 
and you know you, you're like you're trying to keep an active mallet and you're, and you're trying to move it but by the time you move for the poke check they've already popped the ball and it just goes through your bottom bracket it's like the most frustrating shot in polo but it's also like one of the best ways to score i guess because it's just it's all it's about easy. positioning yeah. off there yeah it's all about positioning so I don't know if being able to execute the freedom block in that scenario is good because once you go for that block, you have to go forward. Like it's hard to, you can't really stay in one spot and do that. You have to kind of then go forward with your momentum, which then the player could easily just as well faint the shot and then pop it in after you. Oh, I think it depends on your ability to use the raclette um, effectively. There are definitely some players out there and you're seeing this more at really competitive tournaments that, you know, these dedicated goaltenders are people that have mastered that technique and you can do it and kind of track stand while doing it, hold it for a few seconds even. And I think the situation that you're describing, Liam, with that little kind of tip, if you perceive the tip coming, that's ideal to use the raclette. I don't know if you'd want to use it against big rips. No, absolutely. <laughs> no. And I should say it's only a raclette if it's from the raclette region of France. Otherwise, it's just a sparkling block. <laughs> should point that out oh gosh oh my gosh the sparkling water <laughs> joke shout out elias i'm curious guys <laughs> because you know practicing offense is pretty easy you put some cones down you take shots you get little game situations going but practicing goaltending i find a lot more difficult especially when i'm practicing by myself are there any drills you guys use to practice goaltending or little like tips you can get to people to get better at goaltending I actually practice this all the time, and it's one of the only things. One of the only things I do during warmups for every single game is I practice coming into the net and setting up as fast as I can. So that's riding towards the edge of the crease. In my case, it's riding into the crease as hard as I can, slamming my front brake and doing a wheelie on my front wheel and dropping my rear wheel against the post so that no ball can get in. Nailing that move is really hard. And I'm not saying that's the best way to do it. That that To me, that's the fastest that I can do it. And I just practice trying to get that consistent so that in a situation where, you know, we turn the ball over and we're scrambling for defense, that's one of the few things that I just have ingrained as uh, a really quick, fast response. I'm net, boom, this is the thing, and my wheel is set. And just learning, I would say if you're a new player, learning... You don't have to do the wheelie part of it, but just learning when you roll into the net, exactly what it feels like when your rear wheel is where you need it to be. And you can stop, go, okay, I think I have it here. And then I'll actually just step off my bike and look, did I get it? Oh, there's a little bit of a hole there. Did I, is my back wheel perfectly in place against that rear post? And I think that is something you can practice on your own. And you don't even need a net. You can practice that with a cone where you just try to pull up and boom park your uh, your rear, rear wheel against that cone yeah without like a person to take shots on you or like one of those robots that that shoots the ball <laughs> aside from bike handling i don't know what you can practice to be a good goalie i think i think practicing like fast breaks like turning out of net accelerating out of net to when you have like a rebound and like practicing that quick reaction to like get to the ball quickly I think that's pretty, that can be very helpful. Yeah, for sure. Um, and whether that's just like always having your feet in the right spot um, so that you can hit your downstroke and accelerate or do a wheelie turn at the other way if the ball goes the other way. Like those kinds of skills I practice yeah. a fair amount. Yeah, I think it's just how fast you can get in yeah. and out of net. And in, in a situation, if you want to imagine that the other team is doing like some kind of extended four track, 
you can practice rolling from from uh, your front wheel against the far post and then getting back across the net to put your rear wheel back against the back post. If you practice that motion and you can get pretty consistent at it, you know, I feel like that's the majority of the activity a goaltender does when once the defense is set up. That's what a lot of my practice is when I'm doing goaltending practice is like I set up two cones and I I think about how quickly can I get my front tire to touch that cone and then how quickly can I get my back tire to touch the other cone. And it's like repeating that back and forth over and over and over and like stop and pivot and go back, stop, pivot and go back. Or I set up a little cube and I like draw like four goal lines and it's like, how quickly can I position my bike on that goal line? Okay, now how quickly can I position my bike on the opposite side's goal line? And so there's like four goal lines I'm trying to get into quickly. And I'm just kind of going through in different ways and pivoting to get in different spots and moving my bike around while kind of still being uh, stagnant because I'm not rolling really, right? Um, just pivoting from one goal line to the other. That's what I do. And also, I mean, even before tournaments, I try to make a point of it to go out with one buddy and just practice breakaway goals and scoring and breakaway shots and breakaway saves. And, you know, he'll do 10 or she'll do 10 and I'll do 10. And then we'll just see who can win the kind of shootout challenge. But it's really important because converting on breakaways and shutting down breakaways is a huge part of wins and losses. Oftentimes it's the team that converts the most on their breakaway goals that ends up winning the game. Look at the means versus clever politics. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so goaltending, I think though, is more than just saving goals. A lot of the time is like, what do you do with the ball? Once you have it, you've recovered the rebound, like setting up your teammates. If you are the dedicated goalie, I'm curious for team building sake, guys, do you think that teams should be considering like players goaltending abilities more so or less so when they're making teams? I mean, I think that your team, I think part of being a team and not just, uh, a group of players that are on a team for pickup. Like when, if we're going to a tournament and I'm playing with people and, and I consider us a team or I consider these people teammates, I think you cross that, that threshold. Once we've had conversations about how we want to play when it comes to, should you designate someone as goalie? I think that's being a shitty teammate. If you're just telling someone to do something, but if you're having a conversation as a team and you're saying, okay, I think this is how we should approach the game. This is how our rotation is going to work. Whoever You don't have to say which player is in that even. It can just be, okay, when they have the ball uh, first back or the first person is playing the player, the second person is going to net, and then net is coming out when we have possession or whatever, you know. You know, that that sort of having a a decision-making thing so that everyone's on the same page, I, I think that's just good teamwork. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a preferred goalie. I think it's actually to your advantage to have that thought about before the game, like, who should be the first person picking up off a dead ball situation, for example, who should be the first person picking up the ball, who should be the middle, who should be the goalie. And like, what's their ideal set for defense. That way, when you're playing defense and it's all messed up and people are playing all over the place, you can settle down and make a couple switches and get to your preferred spot. Like that's going to increase your consistency and increase your defensive rating overall throughout the tournament as a team. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Particularly if you have different strengths though. Right. And yeah, I mean, for for some people, their 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 strength as a goaltender is going to be what Liam was saying, blocking those, just sort of covering their five holes. Some people, I don't know if it's just a reaction thing or like they can read the angles really well. Some people shut down their five holes so well, and I, I'm with Liam. Like I, it 
you know, it's my biggest weakness when I'm in net. I feel like it's the biggest liability. It's just a big shoot here sign because I feel so helpless with that mallet. Sometimes, you know, I make some nice blocks, but more often than not, it's hard. I've seen you make some pretty big saves. So I guess this goes to say, what are you guys going to work on this summer from a goaltending perspective? Like what skill as far as goaltending do you want to improve on personally? Well, I made the biggest step uh, actually last year when we, you know, we started this podcast and I think we kind of solidified the three of us as a team. Getting Liam on the team just really shored up the goaltending for my foreseeable future. <laughs> no, I'm just oh my gosh. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Okay, but seriously? But ser- seriously, I exactly what we said. Like, I'm going to practice dropping my wheel in and just I, – I, I want to practice dropping into racklets so that I'd love to add that tool to my repertoire. Ball control and just getting in and out of positions. It's going to be a lot of solo polo again this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Sadly. William, you have anything you're working on? Uh, yeah, I'm working on my book, How to Be a Great Goalie. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> No. Not actually. I don't know. I mean, yeah, practicing those, that drop down block, freedom block, racklet, whatever you want to call it. Maybe uh, taking some PSI out of the tires to hang a little lower on the court, you know, just little, just a little thing. <laughs> I'm just doing the fine tuning now, you know, it's dialed in. I'm just doing the fine tuning. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to have such a bad, like, I'm going to have such a reputation once we come back to pole. They're going to be like, oh yeah, you're that good goalie, eh? And they're going to like score. I'm going to get 5 and be like, <laughs> yeah, guys. <thanks." laughs> you, should, you should get a goaltending, like a hockey's goaltender helmet just yeah, to like bring over. Yeah. <laughs> or Patrick Roth. <laughs> or no, Martin Broder. Yeah. Going full Broder. For me, I think it's going to be a lot about just getting more comfortable in the net and have just building confidence that I can make saves. I know I have the ability, like I have the bike maneuverability, but something about being in that just makes me feel naked. <laughs> and I feel like I'm just kind of helpless and that I, there's not much I can do to affect the shot going in or not. So just doing a lot more one-on-one shooting drills and just spending more time in the net in pickup and things. I already play a lot of net in pickup, but really you know, trying to be more of a dedicated goalie in some matchups. And I uh, just seeing where that takes me a lot of the time. I think it is just about time and net for me at this point. That's going to be the biggest thing. In all seriousness, though, I do think that goaltending is different from almost everything else you do in bike polo in that it's a very passive activity. Um, if they don't shoot, you don't really do that much. I, I would say half of being a good goaltender is making them think that you're ready for it so they don't take the shot. Because uh, a lot of the times, if there wasn't anyone in the net, people would take the shot, you know, for sure. Uh, and so just being there sometimes can force someone to try too hard to take a shot. They come in too fast. They hit too hard. They miss. People miss a lot in bike polo. <laughs> um, so just being there and be, staying on your bike and being ready is a huge part of being a good goaltender. And I do think that makes it different from almost everything else in polo. And that's probably why you feel a little bit helpless is even the best goaltender is going to be helpless to the perfectly placed shot, right? All you're doing is playing the percentages. If I roll forward, you know, I take up slightly more space in the net and you're kind of gaming your reaction time against their uh, skill or precision or teamwork. And especially in situations where uh, there's two players, like it's a two on one, sometimes there's nothing you can do as goaltender. All you can do is challenge the one player, force them to make the pass. And if they can make the pass and the shot that follows it, sometimes there's nothing else you can do in net. 
but that might be your highest percentage play and you just got to you know walk away from it if, if they score on that like hey you you made them beat you and and they did that's you know that's why we don't play uh first you know we don't play uh, golden goal all the time you get a chance to get them back i guess one thing about goalie though is maybe uh having the designated goalie if you have one person who is sort of the go-to goalie it might put a bit of pressure on them to kind of you know do all the saving like if a goal goes in like you said like it's hard to defend again in bike polo i think of it like in terms of like hockey or soccer the keepers have a pretty hard time trying to save the puck from going into the net especially if they're on a breakaway or something like the goalie they're just going to do their best they can right but if you're like the designated goalie it can i suppose become a source of like friction or not if 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 the ball's constantly going in and you're like, oh, you're supposed to save that, or the person themselves feels like, oh, I should have saved that, I should have saved that, like, that's my role on the team is to save that. Whenever a shot goes in, who's the person who didn't save it, right? That's a mentality that I think some people that might be new to sport might have, but so much about bike polo on defense is teamwork, right? And as much as you can have the best goalie in, in the world, if you just leave them out to lunch and give people open slot shots without any pressure all game and breakaway shots, the team's going to score on that goalie. So much of good defense is turning what could be good shots into like wide angle kind of through traffic shots. And that's what gives your goalie the chance to react and make the save or just really lowers the percentages so that, you know what, they end up making the save regardless of if they made a mistake or not. But it's team like everyone on that court needs to put a bike in front of that ball. And the more bikes you have between that ball and the net, the less likely it is to go in. And that's the mentality you got to bring, right? If the ball goes in the net, it's not because the goalie didn't make the save. It's because you know what? You gave that player the open shot or caused the turnover that made them have to try to bail you out. And they didn't because they can't do it every time. And that's not their fault. They're doing the best they can. But uh, you can't just blame every shot that goes in on your goalie, and they shouldn't blame themselves either. Easier said than done, though. I definitely try to think of it as, like, savable shots versus unsavable shots. If someone's shooting through traffic, and I got a look at it, and I was set up, and I didn't get a piece of it, obviously, you know, it's physically possible that I could have had a wheel in front of it or something. But to me, I did everything I could have in that situation. And if they're going to be able to shoot through our defense that way, or what what have you then that's not really a savable shot i feel like there's not much else i can do and i'm happy to have said well i was in position i was ready for it i got a piece of it but it went in anyway you know maybe i can get faster but there's nothing in that moment that we can do better the team's defense is working if they're scoring shots through traffic and the goaltender's getting a piece of it or has a chance like you're set up for it you know make them make them score those goals uh because more often than not they won't Exactly. There's always gonna be freak ones that bounce off like three sets of rims and then like spoke and then top corner or something. And you just have to forget about that and try to get the next one. But definitely stop the slow rollers. Those are the worst ones. It just oh. when you see it and it. Those, or, yeah. those ones you can feel bad about, you know, <laughs> full court rip that you see the whole time and fail to get in front of. Yeah, I've been there. Okay, let's move on to something that is always helpful. And that is the mailbag, a.k.a. the Justin Matheson megaphone moment. Liam, take it away. <laughs> yeah, it's been aptly renamed as we haven't heard from anyone else, aside from our friend Justin. But it's okay. It's fine. We He's love Justin. Takes. This one's a short yeah. one this week. He writes, big shout out to John Hayes for not taking credit for the things he gets so much credit for. If you could emulate another player's style, who would it be and why? Oh, good question. What do you guys think? 
Uh, there's actually like so many names coming to my brain right now that it's hard for me to pick just one. Oh gosh. I think I have one actually. I think I would emulate lefty will from call me daddy. Um, obviously he's a lefty like myself, so I uh, would appreciate, you know, his technique and his style. And I think a lot of the things that he really excels in are the weak spots of my game, you know, for call me daddy, he was basically their preferred goalie for a long time. It seemed, and it seemed like he had some kind of advantage being left-handed in net. His front wheel would face the opposite direction of the other players that people were used to. Um, and that might mess people up. And I just think if I could learn to be a goaltender like that and learn some of the defensive chops and just control and shooting that he had, uh, it would make me so much of a better player, especially because, you know, I could combine that with some of the skills I'm really good at. Not to say he's not good at those things, but just like his strengths are my weaknesses. So I would love to pick up his style because I, I really think he's a great player. I'm trying to think of who I'd like to be, who I'd like to play like. I mean, everyone's got their own style, which makes polo fun, right? But um, I do kind of enjoy the Jizza style. <laughs> Which nice. is just the, you know, like just some of the shots he's able to put in off such weird angles with that crooked mallet just astound me. And and just his like his like skids into the backhand into the top, like left corner of the net just astounds me sometimes. And I'm just like, damn, you know, I wish I could pull off something that looks that cool because it, it sure looks cool when he does it. So the thing about Jeff is that he's legitimately a gifted athlete. Yeah. And. I mean, he could be riding any hunk of garbage with any, you know, lead mallet with a piece of pipe on the end, and he would still score goals in freak moments and would still do things to impress us. He's just a freak on the bike in general. This guy won the Ottawa track standing competition with a freewheeled bike against fixie riders. I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> they had him standing one leg on it. Yeah. And he was still managing to control with his hips. Like he's a freak athlete. And when you put him on a polo core, it doesn't matter if he's running rear wheel only like a nineties mountain bike that looks like it weighs 35 pounds. He's still dangerous and he's still got to guard him like he is. And I I respect that choice lame a lot. He's a, he's a pretty cool player. I, I sort of have two answers. When I'm in a competitive tournament game, one of the players I've always looked up to, uh, and it has been around for a lot of the tournaments that we've played in, uh, is Nahan. Um, just such a dominating presence on the court and in kind of an understated way. Like he's not, it's rare that you see him do the craziest, flashiest things, but it's just a lot of really, really smart little plays. The little things I've just shamelessly stolen. Most of the plays in my book are just shamelessly stolen from things I've seen Nahon do on the court, like just head fakes. I love the uh, right up behind a defender and just turn my head to the right as I take the ball to the left that is like the classic you can beat really good players that way and or just you go for the big wind up and you just smack the ground in front of the ball the defender goes down or jumps or does whatever they're going to do and then you take a 50 percent power shot at wherever the opening is like just these classic things that i i in my head anytime i go for it i'm picturing nahon destroying me with those moves because he has Time and time again. 100% agree. I've stolen the head move. So I've done, I've like really stolen it from Nahan. And I find every time I play against Nahan, he does one tricky thing to me that I then go home and practice. And the cool thing about him is playing style is if you watched a game, like let's say you were just watching a stream of him playing, you might not realize that he's actually controlling the game. 
but if you're in the game, you know it. And his just presence is really dominating and his def- defense is impeccable. And those tricky things he does, you're absolutely right, Alex. We could learn a lot from just picking up his little tendencies and tricks he does. My my favorite, just absolutely bullshit, people shouldn't copy this, but it's just the funniest thing. And it's like the most quintessential Mahon maneuver is off ball. When you have these moments in polo all the time where two players are sort of turning in on the play. Uh, and you're kind of you're on a you're on a collision course with each other, and you both you're both off ball, and you kind of naturally would adjust to just get around each other. Something that Nahan does, and I've I've added to my game, though I probably shouldn't have, uh, is he just kind of like makes eye contact with them and goes, "Oh God, like I don't know what I'm doing," and then just goes around them. <laughs> and it, it's the, it's the funny it's it's I think it's just half trolling, but it just it puts that that shadow of doubt in their mind where they're like, Oh God. And they, they grab a handful of break when they don't need to or something. And I don't know if that's off ball. It's not off ball contact, but it's just like a weird, like left, right, left, right. Oh, never mind. I'm going this way in weird off ball situations where you're not making contact with anyone. You're just, it's just always a head game and you just keep them off balance constantly. I love it. He's definitely thought of every little thing, every little piece he can eke out from like a cognitive perspective. He's definitely thought of it. It's pretty cool. Um, but I, I did also want to say, in general, if I could, like, overall, all of Bike Polo, I think one of the players I look up to the most for just the way that they've engaged with Bike Polo has to, he's come up before, but probably has to be Ashwin. Just the way that, that he inspired, like, a generation of, of players in Ottawa to, to come out. Like, I, I wish I could go around and, and make friends and play in clubs and have just sort of the, the energy that that Ashwin brings to the court. I think that's something that I I definitely wish I could emulate more. He's such a charismatic dude. And no matter where he goes, he just draws people in and he's only been playing a short time, but he's already recruited more players than almost all of us. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. What do you think, Liam? You must know Ashwin pretty well. Oh yeah. Good friend of mine. And, uh, see a good player to emulate. Yeah. I'd say for both on the court and off the court. He's a dynamic, he's a very good cyclist. Like he's done a lot of work as a Uber Eats cyclist and he cycles a lot just for fun. And I mean, that shows it his game as well as he's just very charismatic and friendly, which is what you want to be, right? When you're playing bike polo. And and on the court, he's invented more moves than I ever have and probably ever yeah. will. It's true. Yeah. He has invented a whole bunch of moves. We'll have to have him on the podcast sooner rather than later because uh, I think, you know, people in Canada know who Ashwin is, but uh, internationally, he might not be as well-known a commodity and he should be. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he's revolutionizing the game one uh, peg leg at a time. Amen. Amen. All right. On that note, let's wrap this podcast up because, you know what, this is already a pretty mega episode and uh, let's just get out of here. Uh, I'll remind you guys listening, you know what, if you want to have your email read on the podcast, if you want to, you know, grind our gears or put us to a question, you want to hear our answers, email us at northsidepolopodcast at gmail.com. That's northsidepolopodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And you know what, while you're doing that, you might as well leave us a rate and review on Spotify or Apple. That really helps out the podcast quite a bit. And uh, we'd appreciate it. Until next time, guys, keep your rubber side down. And uh, we'll see you when Polo comes back this spring. Have a great one. Bye for now.
And uh, I just want to say, if you want to hear three delusional guys talk about how the Raptors there's no need to plug that this year, there is a podcast called Raptors Review that Gavin also hosts. Yo, the Raps are winning right now. <laughs> it's it's awesome. It, it's it's the bet you can hear three guys delusionally talk about how the Raptors are going to win. Every no, week. I'd say there's only one of them that actually believes it. <laughs> oh my gosh.